0: like when you really think about how rich you would be if yeah you could go back and do what you did
1: even if you could go back six months facts you know that's the problem is that when you're 16 and you have all the marketability and the youth and the energy etc yeah. but you don't know anything
0: yeah you just kind of running blind yeah. like spend it all on I don't, what would i have spent it on if i was like if i had like major money when I was 16. Right,
1: because have you always been this sort of obsessed creative? Like when I'm reading about all the stuff that you're into, it feels like you're this like fountain of creative energy that's just going in a million different directions. Is that always kind of been the case?
0: Yeah, like I st- my earliest memory of creation, I would have been about four years old. And I remember like, I do. all I remember is it being mad noisy, and I had this really quiet moment where I was drawing and the world felt fine. Mm. Don't remember what I was drawing, don't remember like if it was any good, I just remember the action of it, always kind of felt comfortable. And then like throughout the rest of my time on this planet, um, I just kind of treated it like whatever I was meant to do next, I was meant to do because it all contributes to this greater idea of it being art. Mm. And it's like the same reason why like nobody likes being labeled in terms of genres or, or having any kind of labels on them whatsoever, it's because it's, it instantly restricts you. When in reality, why you start creating anything is so that the possibilities can keep growing and you can grow with it. So, mm. yeah, like I did everything. I was doing. I started with illustration. Um, my sister's a dancer, so she got me into dance when I was like nine. I danced until I was nineteen. And
1: you were you were born in London or, or yeah, I was Ghana. Born in Ghana? This area. This okay. Area.
0: This is literally. The area where everybody comes to for everything is where I grew (laughs) up.
1: But are your parents like first generation immigrants?
0: Um, Yeah, so they're from Ghana and then they moved over. They met here, but they're both from Ghana. Oh, okay. They both migrated at different times and met and collaborated and made me.
1: What kind of upbringing did they have you with? Like, were they understanding about you having these crazy creative impulses?
0: Yeah. I mean, like they're supportive within their understanding and I think certain things they didn't understand, I'm grateful that they didn't let me go down. <laughs> like, right, yeah. I remember at one point I had like an alright paying job and I came in and told my mum like, I'm going to quit that and be like an assistant at a gallery. And she goes like, what do you mean? And I goes, you know when people help you understand the painting? And she goes, you want to quit your job to go stand somewhere for free? <laughs> <laughs> You're <an> idiot. <laughs> like, just let it calm down, it. But um, she's never stopped me from doing anything because like the, the... I always understood balance. If I was gonna do a madness outside, a madness on road, or whatever, the, the the home has to be cool. Home could never be affected. If if I wanted to go off and do a bunch of creative things, cool. Make sure the education was patterned. You feel mm. me? So I went university. I finished with a first. Like I finished like top six in my university. Wow. And then as soon as I was done, I just said to her like, "Yeah, I'm doing music now." And like that was another weird one because like I, I wasn't musical. Right. I wasn't the musical kid that was like. Mom buy me a piano, buy me this. Like. When did that kick in? After poetry. So, okay, around, I was right, in college, I was writing poetry.
1: Um, how'd you get into that scene? Because I've been to a lot of poetry recitals and shit in, in LA, and it's yeah. definitely like its own, its it's own its world. Own thing, yeah, yeah, it was
0: definitely when I was like, when I was going to see it and visit it and fall in love with it, it was definitely its own thing, right? It was like we had credible, notable scenes and names and people to like aspire to be like and all of a sudden they were black Mm. do you know what I mean so like it was really like a big thing like to see somebody come from the ends that you come from using poetry to escape the ends right you feel me so like I remember when George the Poet first got signed it was like a huge thing like when Sully Breaks got a million views and now all of a sudden, Will Smith's in his videos and stuff like that. Mm. My man's from North London, you feel me? Like right. really there, you get me? We could walk outside and see him and now he's like doing bits. So I remember going to that, that, like those kind of things, my young jumping up there, trying to do what I was doing. And it was like working, I built a little name for myself, um, <clears throat> but like, I never felt fulfilled doing one thing. Mm. It was like, right, I've got poetry, how do I now make people see the poetry? Okay, let's do these like short films, like these creative films or whatever. Mm. Um, like, let's just make it interesting because the, the stigma is that it's dry, isn't it? Let's just be real.
1: Yeah, but that's the crazy thing about it is that when you think about poetry, the reason why it's a hard sell to a youth is that it has a lot of the same characteristics of hip-hop. If you're mm-hmm. into one, you might be into the other, yeah. but then poetry just has much smaller scale, but at yeah. the same time, it's more accommodating to, you know, the values of it are less. In the sense yeah. of that, in rap, it's kind of like, well, if you're not doing numbers and making money, then you're, you're supposed to be irrelevant. You're supposed yeah. to not really be all that important, whereas Small. in poetry... You know it's more judged on the work rather than yeah. in rap it's like judged on the the result
0: yeah 100 percent. and i think that was the confusion for people when i started making music because my approach to music was came from how i approached art which was like be inspired and then create so it wasn't like i have to be the hardest this and the hardest that. and like i was just trying to make a good product um so when you listen to it it didn't sound like anything else it didn't sound like what you would typically hear so you had to interpret it And then the argument was, ah, he's not a rapper, he's a poet, or he's not a poet, he's an artist. And it was confusing for a long time. I think for a lot of people, the first four years would have been that. Do you know what I mean? The first four years would have been like, deciding whether I was a music artist, if I was a poet, if I was a this, that, and the other. But like, for me, I didn't give a fuck. I just cared about being good, didn't it? Right. Like, Like, at the end of the day, there's no MC, there's no artist, there's no music artist from nowhere. Ever met me or heard my stuff that can't tell, man? I'm not one of the special ones, like, I'm not a chosen one. You get me? right, that was my concern. The numbers, the money, all that stuff, I always knew I'd have that, I'd get that. You get me? So, uh-huh. it was like the third concern in the list. It was like, right, so
1: how, but how do you make that transition over to doing the music thing? And you, in your particular case, like, when I was looking at your shit online, what really stood out to me is just that you've got videos that are clearly like concerned with politics and socioeconomic situations and then also you know you're you're tying the rap into like clearly you had something to say politically that you weren't going to just start making rap and then sort of leave behind all your concerns that you had previously.
0: Yeah 100% I think at the time especially I only really knew how to write from what I was going through and in, in, in England there was these massive political shifts and these like these things as a young black man growing up you start to realize that you are responsible for certain things and kind of have to say something, Um, not in a way that's preachy, not in a way that's like, if you don't believe this and if you don't think this, you're wrong, but more like you're confused. I'm just as confused as you are, Mm. but we all got to grow through this. Do you get me? So like it started to become a more of a commonality rather than it being like a political like point in this point in that, because like, for example, one of the videos I remember got picked up by um, black lives matter. And um, because at the end I had a scene where I was holding my nephew and I was painted completely black, um, and he's holding a sign that says um, "My life matters," and like, I when I when I wrote that scene down, and I've said it to the guys or whatever, and I'm like, this is how we're gonna do the scene. My concern wasn't the political like, like reference in that sense or like who's gonna pick it up or whatever. My concern was when my nephew watches that in ten years fifteen years when he's older if things haven't changed he needs to know that message mm-hmm. he needs to understand that so everything became way more personal like and then kind of opening a door on it you get know I me mean? like mm-hmm. saying all right have a look you get know I me mean? it's weird man like I don't know why half of this stuff came out the way it did it just I was just creating it as I felt it.
1: So you do everything with the videos, like you're actually like scripting out like what the different scenes are going to be and stuff.
0: Yeah, I have an I, like I have an amazing team, and I like with everything else like I'd like hold the mantle on and say yeah, like ah uh, creative director, artist, da 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 blah, whatever the list is that people right. see. With directing, I've directed videos, but I always give the credit to the people around me. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because they facilitate the ideas. I'll come. I'll have things in my head that are like. Just rattling around in there. Yeah. And um. But that's
1: kind of the, the process that you have to figure out as a as a creator at yeah. some point is how to take some of the duties and put them in other people's exactly. hands, or you're never getting anything done. Uh,
0: Lewis and Alex, amazing directors. They was working with me during the early part of my career. They actually branched off and ended up managing. Well, Lewis manages um, Slow Tie. Okay. Um, and has massive success, massive massive success with Slow Tie and like literally. Nothing makes me prouder. Do you know what I mean? Like seeing people I've come up and come up around um, really just take it to the next degree. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Charlie D. Placido, Craig MPH, like just all these like, people that I just keep around me that I'm like, yo, do you know what? Let's just keep making the future. Mm. Do you know what I mean?
1: That's what's up. So, but you have a lot of different shit going on besides just the music. Can you try to like yeah. summarize everything that's going on in your universe?
0: Yeah. I've like, I'm. Do you know this is my advice to young people? Is do everything, yeah. And then when you get older, you'll find a way to just simplify it because you realize there's there's a lot of time in a day, but it's not that much time in a day. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, creative direction is something that I, I still operate at.
1: Uh, what's it called, Chelsea Bravo?
0: Do you know, I haven't worked with Chelsea oh, Bravo okay. in a while? She was the first person that comes from. Basically, Chelsea was the first person to ever give me the shot. Do you know okay, what I, mean? like, I hail her up to like the end of time because like she discovered me well we discovered each other when I was just coming out of university and she could tell I had a skill or an eye for like art direction and creative direction and I was I went to fashion school I went to London College of Fashion um, and graduated in uh, illustration and creative direction uh-huh. so when I come out I was like exploring all of the stuff to do with music she was helping me with some of the fashion <laughs> things to do with that and then it kind of subsequently ended up helping with the brand and we took it like super duper far. She took it, um, relocated to America. She's doing amazing. Um, and like now the brands kind of gone in the direction of, um, kind of more unisex fashion because before it used to be strictly menswear. Right. Um, but yeah, after I kind of stopped doing that, I was way more in the, the world of kind of like collaboration. So I'd partner up with different brands come in for a little bit, work on a project and then like, do you know what I mean like is
1: menswear the the stuff that you were mainly interested in when you were in uh, fashion school?
0: Do you know what? More yes. Proper yeah, type stuff. Yeah. I think I was more interested in what people could make and why. Mm. That was it like like I everything has a purpose, do you know what I mean? So in one sense like something as simple as a t-shirt can be designed 50 million ways mm. for it to like have a new purpose or, or serve something in something else, like in, in another way. Um, like even when you look down to like the layers on, a, on an army uniform throughout different like ages, mm. there's so many things that you can pick apart now that just become like individual fashion trends. Mm. Like everyone nowadays are wearing holsters and all that kind of stuff. But all these shapes and these designs come from reference images from products that were designed with purpose. Right. Do you know what I mean? So that was my obsession was like, what was the original purpose? and like how do we keep it true to that but then now start to explore how it now works for a a person in a modern age where they're not out at war or they're not like on a farm or they're not like where half of these shapes like these actual fashion shapes and these trends come from which
1: I is. never really thought about it like that but there is such a weird military element in a lot of this shit that's trendy right now yeah. in the sense everybody wearing the fake bulletproof vests yeah. with the pouches everywhere and shit yeah. and even like more in a, like a year or two ago on Melrose where my store is everywhere you look you would see people rocking the fucking million different color camo yeah, yeah, which again yeah, yeah. is like this weird bastardization of, yeah, of military weird. shit
0: yeah it's so strange and like it goes in and it comes out and like yeah. But like, it happens with everything. And like, even down to women's wear fashion and things like that, like all these styles and shapes and like, they just happened in cycles, mm. you know what I mean? Like even prints and, and like, just color trends and silly shit. Like it just keeps happening in cycles. And it's like, it's interesting. I can see why celebrities lose their minds when they get to a certain point and they've got all this money and they want to start their brand. Mm. It's like, Like, it's hard to get into it because it's like, there's the interest in it. Do you know what I mean? As a consumer, you're interested.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then as a creative, there's something you want to add to anything that you, do you know what I mean? Like touch or interact with you. There's always an idea because your, your mind doesn't relax. Mm. <coughs> and then in theory, you should be able to like, just do. And you actually can. It's now the approval thing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Which was like, my hesitation with everything to do with like music and the industry and why like, even for those first four or five years, like I was so unconcerned with the fame, is because like I kept saying, who am I trying to please? Mm. I'm happy I made it. Do you know what I mean? Like right. I admit, this didn't exist before; it exists now happy days it's
1: crazy to think that the challenge in fashion for many many years was just to be able to figure out how to make stuff yeah. now the the information pipeline is so much smoother that it's like if you want to make stuff if you want to make a t-shirt it's really no excuse for you to not be able to figure yeah. out how to make a t-shirt and then the challenge becomes how do you make something that could stand out versus all the five million other brands that yeah. are making t-shirts yeah. and that fact that everybody's being overloaded yeah. with information at all times and things become uncool so so fast, so and, quickly. Yeah,
0: so quickly. It's like you could, and that's that's the saddest part about seeing a lot of like, like I'll see a lot of young designers come up now, and they'll spend years, to, and I would say it's too like, just think and do. Like if if you're within your means, think and do, because they'll spend a long time creating these ideas and these shapes and it's whatever, and then somebody will just make it, mm. because like as much as it was your idea. You are not the only human being in the world capable of conceiving that idea. Do mm. you know what I mean? So, for whatever random set of coincidences that flew past you that made you think of that, it can happen for somebody else. And it might if you wait too long. Exactly. When it does there's nothing you can do about it like, there,
1: there's this guy who was selling these these necklaces that I saw uh, in America at this festival we went to and they they're, they look like, like real jewelry but then it's like the pieces are made out of like uh, clear plastic yeah. so it looks kind of cool and stuff and I was looking at it and as soon as I, I and you know I, I was listening to some of my friends talk about it, it as like they were saying oh he needs to make it more limited he should only give it out to like X amount of people and stuff and I started to think like that idea is so easily replicable that it's like he needs to understand the shelf life of what he has here and push it to the appropriate degree and and and, then move on and then that's why you end up with and and really what is the gain from that like yeah you can make money in the short term but the real gain is that you're going to add to your profile like your your audience that will be able to then perceive your future ideas because and that's why a lot of brands now start out with the idea of being a sort of temporary brand that they're going to do for a couple years and then they're going to move on because the challenge of keeping a brand cool for 20 years is ridiculously difficult and, and it's almost impossible. F- so many perils that go along with that. And it's like to a lot of people, it's like, well, I know I can make something cool for that's X why you gotta like
0: salute brands like Trapstar. Like, because I remember Trapstar from like when I was in school, and like it's weird because like I use them as an example of a modern day heritage brand. Mm. Do you get me? So, like. When you think of heritage brands now, you think of all the ones that are kind of operating and tailoring and kind of like the old, kind of like more suiting and all that stuff that have existed from like the 50s or whatever. Mm. But actually all that is, is a particular style existing over a generation and that's still being special to that generation. Mm. So there's a lot of streetwear brands that have lived with people, do you know what I mean? And they've now kind of graduated to the next point in their career but they're still not seeing themselves as a heritage brand, as something that has been a p- part of people's lives. Like when I was downstairs, I was looking at the shoes and I saw one of the air forces had um, one of the college dropout teddy bears on it. And I was like, yo, um, it was easily in school when that came, easily, like I was, I remember having my backpack on, begging my mum for a Ralphie Poly, right, like polo or whatever and like, i just re- i remember it so vividly like i remember him doing the, um the feature verse on um is it slum village i don't remember don't remember and he had the pink polo on and he was walking hella oh quick. <laughs> right okay yeah <laughs> He was yeah. walking hella fast i remember that video so clearly right like things like that start to become like part of the heritage of like style and fashion and like you start you see it like you're walking through london there is a very particular sense of style but it is quite worldly comes from everywhere
1: yeah so do you see your music as being like a direct reflection of your interest in fashion like how do those two overlap and and work together
0: um i don't do you know what they don't really overlap until you get to the videos or the visual content mm. where you're trying to tell the story right I think, um, like part of the process of getting into music was like hey i didn't, I didn't like my greatest fear was like being one of these Donnies that just jumped into it to jump into it, Mm. for it to be like the way out. Like sick, innit, if it's the way out, hard. But I wanted to be good, you feel me? Like at music, like making music. So the process of making music became about everything. Do you know what I mean? It became about how people felt, what they saw, Mm. how they interpreted it, what it meant to them in the long run and all that kind of stuff. Um, And fashion is a part of that. Like, even down to when you think about, like, when you're about to make merch. Right. It's like, you've got to think of what font actually describes the sound of music right? that you're referring to. Damn
1: near everybody's a fashion designer if you want to include merch in there these yeah, days. Right, because yeah. that's, like, everybody's first foray yeah, into yeah, no, doing yeah. anything that people are going to wear.
0: People go crazy on merch. But it's sick, man. I love the fact that people are going crazy on merch right now. Like, yeah. Octavian just dropped those um, bowler shirts with the endorphin print on it. Uh-huh. fire. That. Like you get me that. Like, bye. I've caught that.
1: Do you um? But how do you feel like your music fits into the overall like world of UK rap? Because it's clearly like more political, more conceptual, mm. more you know artistic mm. than a lot of the people that I've been talking to and stuff. How do you feel like you've been received and how's it viewed by your peers? And
0: really well, with a lot of respect, with a lot of admiration. Slow, um, but grateful for the slowness because that allowed me to grow as an artist uh-huh. i would definitely say i feel the love way more now like within the last year or so i can feel that shift that momentum of things being on my side and uh-huh. people gravitating towards me and listening to the music and really liking it and respecting it because i say when i came in i had a very like niche kind of cult following but it was mine it was small
1: uh-huh.
0: and then um and then they love it Like, you could ask them lot about Dear Daisy from 2014 when it dropped or like Kwame Nkrumah or Bamboo or Gallant or any of them records and they'll give you a whole thesis. Like, people have written dissertations on those songs.
1: Yeah, I found it interesting watching your videos and stuff because, you know, I'm so used to hearing about the struggle of black people in America. Mm. In England, it's a very different struggle, but I also feel like it it might be uh, perceived differently by the audience because Mm. the audience for hip hop out here might even be more white than... than an American audience yeah, like 100%. how do you feel that a lot of these like really really pro-black messages or, or issues that you're exploring in your music how it's received by the audience and this it sometimes stand out because a lot of the black dudes who make music in England seem like they're more interested in to the perspective of just telling you about what's going on in their area and they're maybe not considering the, the full implications of what their blackness means towards their situation 100%
0: I think the, the, the internet makes the world smaller mm. and I think what it helped me realize is that the, like when I made, so I made a project called 23 Winters. um, I want to say it was 2015 or 2016 when I made that. fully can't remember now, but might have been 2015. And um, that project was um, essentially about a conversation between me and my dad. And my dad um, essentially narrates the project. Mm and you hear him talk about um, diaspora and moving to, to England for the first time and the challenges he experienced. And then essentially what happened with the music is I would tell my story back to him as a res- almost like a cause and effect. Mm. You moved here and allowed me to start my life here. So these experiences you had when you was young are similar to mine but it happened in a completely different space. Um, and and that is now my first inclination into understanding Ghana, mm. and taking that side of like my blackness into a consideration because I didn't speak the language. When my parents came over here, they taught me to, to I guess assimilate. They wanted me to be normal mm. in in a, in a Western world, um, and not being able to speak the language caused me to have a little bit of distance between how I understood myself, and that was that was um the narrative for a lot of the early parts of my music. Um, it was that confusion and that kind of like I'm not sure, and then trying to explain that I'm not sure to a country that is predominantly white is difficult because like some of the imagery is a bit shocking, some of the some of the messages or some of the things I'm like there was one video we did where it's just us like breaking into this house, tying this white guy up and like, right and like so, you saw that yeah, video, I think so, yeah, that video is about gentrification. You feel me like. Mm-hmm. Without like looking like without looking into it and all that stuff, you might just watch it and be like, Why is he doing that? And I'm like, Because I grew up in this area. I've seen these houses pop up and seen who has to move out. Mm. You feel me? So I'm answering that in the in the video. I'm Have you sure.
1: seen that, that take place like in the area where you grew up? All day. It's like, happening everywhere out here, huh?
0: All day, like I live in Hoxton, like H O X T O N, like that is the definition of gentrified like they got us first. We was number. We was out first. They got us first. They got us so quick, no one even cares. Really? Yeah. That's how. I, like, it was like whew, done. Now shortage is just shortage. Right. You get me. But like, anybody that's lived here for more than ten years can tell you there's Like, there's still. It's almost like I say. it Like, there's almost like ghosts of old Hoxton. Like, if you walk through Hoxton, you'll still see like old painted, old painted adverts.
1: Couple of relics that they forgot to get rid of, yeah.
0: Like yeah. old painted adverts for a local barber that's just on the corner, right? Huge, but like everybody knew where dad's barbershop was, yeah. And then you go there now, and like, trust me, everybody knows where dad's barbershop was, and you go there now, and it's the Bach, right? <laughs> <You know what laughs> like, I saw a man doing yoga in there the other day, right? Like, I was like, raw. Imagine I've gone there one time, and um, it was one of the most surreal experiences for me, yeah, because I thought to myself. I now officially live in the middle ground of understanding what's going on, but living around people that don't understand what's going on. Mm. So I'm in this same cafe cause I thought, let me visit one of the ghosts of the area. Let's go to dad's barbershop now known as the buck. So I could eat some avocado mm. and sit in the sun. I'm sitting there living my best life. I'm on FaceTime and, um, and like surrounded by tourists per se, if we're talking about the area and, um, some people bust around the corner, ballied up, about three men ballied up, one was shirtless, um, two on bikes, one was walking, but he was holding something. You couldn't see what he was holding. They've come onto to my road. I can't remember what shop it was that they took a picture outside of, but they took a picture to say, yeah, I'm on your street. Right outside the cafe. Mm. With all these people just like, thinking it's like performance art. Mm. Like 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 not a care in the world, yeah. Wow. But in back in the day, you would see fifty men fly back up the strip to answer that. You get me? Like in a heartbeat, but man I just eating away. Right. I'm doing yoga. You know, I'm
1: really interested in that because it feels like the internet, in a lot of ways, killed the the notion of their, in, at least in America, of there just being a whole <laughs> bunch of motherfuckers just out on the street, yeah. hanging out. And because that is so threatening to the police, yeah, yeah, yeah. especially when they're black, the yeah, police yeah. do not like the idea of just people congregating. And in I notice even in, it, one thing that you guys have is great. You have a lot of shared spaces, a lot of mm-hmm. parks, a lot of like you know just random spots with a bunch of benches and stuff. Yeah. I feel like even that has been pushed out of America because yeah. they don't they know what happens when a bunch of people who live in the same area start congregate, to congregate. Yeah. They start to realize that they have a shared struggle and experience, yeah, 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 yeah. and that can be really bad for the establishment. The, con-
0: the conspiracy was um, smoking in pubs. Someone said that to me. Oh, they ban smoking in pubs because they know people go to pubs, and they sit down, and they talk, and they talk about what's going on, and yeah. they talk about the politics, and they talk about the common man struggle, and, and they galvanize and it was like I don't don't want maybe it's not someone's probably going to argue with me in the comment section and say it's not a conspiracy it's true they banned it they don't want us to talk but like it's true man like they they still do that but at the end of the day like it's weird with England London is almost its own country in Mm. comparison to like the rest of England no disrespect to anywhere else I love like England like there's other major cities that are have their own personality. And they don't actually want to be London. Right. You get me? Man from Manchester that don't want to be London. Man from Birmingham don't want to be London. They have their own thing going on. They but, look at
1: this place like it's a freak show. Yeah. Like, <laughs> or like at least all the shit that's happened to it over the past 10 years or whatever. It's yeah. too
0: busy, no one's polite, everyone's rushing about it. Yeah, liking. very like, different speed. Yeah, my brother, as soon as, once he was ready to settle down, he moved over to Birmingham, got a nice big house, two beautiful kids, a wonderful wife, dog running about, Chilling. This he is the rat race. Huh? This yeah. is the rat race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too much here. He was over it. Right. Like, but um, the it, the the way that we think and feel over here is like you can't really do a madness like that. It's too small. We'll we'll we'll, we'll find your door. Right. We know where ten Downing Street is. You what I mean? Like right. that's a Google Maps thing and an Uber. It's not. It's not. <laughs> we will put up. When when you were a
1: kid, <laughs> when did you start to realize like that? The area you grew up in was being gentrified because I don't even remember that word being in my vocabulary maybe until 10, 12, 15 years ago.
0: I remember it like yesterday. I was walking to secondary school. I think I might have been year nine. So I would have been about, how old are you in year nine? Like
1: year nine? I think you're 14. Uh, yeah, 14. 14 huh?
0: Yeah, about 14, 15. And I see them building Hoxton Station. And I was, <laughs> can you imagine I see them building a train station and in my head I thought to myself that's weird sick now obviously love the train station, overground is very efficient mm. large up TFL sometimes, they get it wrong sometimes big up the <laughs> other times. but seeing that let me know there's, there's, it's almost like there's an influx of a, something new that's about to come and there's a change that you can't stop know what i mean you kind of just gotta watch it happen and it happened it took so long for it to be done that i used that as my benchmark soon as i saw that station being built i used it as a reference point now now there's no more um like jamaican shop now it's a tesco now the hair shops are going away now well you get me like all of these little things you start to just see it one by one where they're raising the rent Mm. People can't afford to stay there anymore, so they got dipped
1: Do you feel like you've fully seen the communities that you were around when you were young, destroyed, broken up? Is that is that definitely the vibe, or there's still people who are left? Is is the rent rent controlled around here to the extent where some people are able to continue yeah. to live there?
0: Yeah, 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 people like like buying property in the seventies and the eighties was the smartest time to do it. Mm. So if you did it, then big up. Yeah, you're probably still in your ends.
1: You probably sold the house somewhere, and got the house somewhere else and yeah. made a shitload of money. Moved. Yeah, it's either
0: you're still there because you own the house, right? Like I'm still in Hoxton, we we own the house, mm. but um, but like you, you might have either sold it and moved, you might have not have, and then the rent got too crazy and you left. What's crazy though with 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 London, actually England, but London because I'm from here. Is when you're from an area, even if you move. It takes a long time for you to stop claiming your old area.
1: Mm.
0: You get me, like, Hoxton Man in South are still Hoxton Man in South. Right. You get me? They're not South Man all of a sudden. You get me, like, it takes a while. So, you kind of, like, in the back of your mind, you're still where you're from. Right. Even if you go back there and it's all coffee shops. No, yeah.
1: I've I've been out of the Boston area for, like, 20 years and I still, I can never wear a New York hat or LA hat or anything like that. I need to go to
0: Boston. I've got, like, I made a really, really great friend. From Boston a really? comedian called Sam J. Okay. Um She's amazing. like really? Absolutely amazing. She's from Boston and we met at a comedy club in um, Soho and like literally just been like that's my my main G now. For really? Boston. <laughs> yeah.
1: Boston is if you're looking for working class humble down-to-earth yeah. people it's a, it's a great place.
0: I think that's why I like her comedy so much because okay. it's very much just like how I imagine people would just talk to each other in Boston. Uh Just real relaxed and straightforward and to the point, no bullshit.
1: I feel like I'm constantly dealing with the issue of people in California thinking that I'm being too aggressive in conversations because we're so used to just saying, shut the fuck up, you know, like, shut up. I find that
0: my accent changes when I get to America, though. Mm,
1: Really? You try to tone it down without even realizing?
0: Yeah, like like, it's weird. Like, with you... I've used the normal slang I would use, because mm. I know that you get it. Yeah. I get to LA and I feel like it's gonna be a struggle, so it's all like, hello. Yeah. Hi, how you doing? I'm Koji. There is a I'm lot of that. to meet you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? no.
1: like, I don't blame you too, because there's a lot of slang terms that I just <laughs> immediately stop using when it's when I get out here, just yeah. because I know that I don't fucking want to explain. But you know what? I, I like that. I like somebody who goes somewhere and just sticks to what they know or someone who gets famous and keeps saying the shit that they were saying before they got famous i really appreciate that because then you're forcing everybody else to kind of catch up with your with with your lingo i mean like back
0: in the day it was way harder like like americans didn't get english slang whatsoever like and like some of it's a bit tricky because you're not around it enough to clock onto the new one that might just come out yesterday you Mm. get me but um, nowadays where the, the again, internet's made the world smaller
1: I was going to say the internet is, has made it so that people understand more but then I also feel like the language or tell me if I'm wrong but I feel like sometimes the language in England has been toned down a bit because everybody's starting to slowly speak the same way because yeah. everybody's on the same internet
0: yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, I think once we caught that the Canadian man was on our team as well, <laughs> it was like a little bit easier, innit? it? Like, yeah. Trey Mission, big up Trey Mission. He was the first man from Canada that I saw really bigging up the team. Yeah, right. But, there you go.
1: Honestly, then, like, Drake helped a lot of people start to understand yeah, a lot yeah, of the yeah. slang out here, one way or another.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was crazy. I remember when that whole Drake thing started happening. It was. It was I was one of them purists, in it? I was one of them. Like, nah, art <laughs> ting, But that nah, now. Nah, big up drake
1: yeah Yeah. (laughs) there you go it's a little bit less explaining once you start charting your way around the world yeah
0: and it is like big up
1: you got a song called 25 where you're talking about how a lot of your friends from growing up have passed away Mm -hmm. what's like the the main causes of that and what's that been like witnessing
0: um the roads is mad Uh um and pride kills a lot of people and not just pride, but like a lack of means that I think people underestimate, do you know what I mean? So I think when people really have to do what they think they have to do, in the back of your mind, you're like, no, 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 they won't. But when push comes to shove, they will. Mm. And, um, and And I had to learn that slowly because there's people in your life that you go, yeah, I expect, not expect that, but like you'll lose them and you go, I had a feeling, as much as I didn't want to, I was gonna lose my man at some point because he was living for the roads. Mm. And then it got to, I got to 25, and one of my best friends, um, an amazing person, his name was Harry um, a big big model, like literally was doing bits all over the world, like world famous as a model, was in jail at one point, come out, changed his life, mm. took over this modeling thing showed bare young black youths how to really make a living out of just being skinny. Mm. <laughs> you get I me mean? like, mean? Like, do you know what I mean? Skinny and pink because the genetics is there. You yeah. Get I mean? like, he gave man the blueprint to say, yeah, no matter where you're from, do your thing. People he met, nothing but good energy. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, he booked as much as he booked because he was a fantastic person and he got stabbed. Really? Start of... Is it, has it been two years or one year? I think it's been a year now. It's mad because, you know, since it happened, I've almost refused to kind of grieve about the, the situation. I just write songs mm. and every song is kind of fueled with this idea that seeing Harry go reminded me that my time on this planet is so temporary mm. because if there was anybody that was promised the world, it was him, you feel me? Like the same week he got like taken or whatever, um, he booked a film he was about to be an actor he was about to be a big big actor bruv he was about to do red carpet and robes and fuck this shit up you get me like if there's anybody it was him but like without, it's mad it's mad because i see him as like a real angel for man without harry going i would have never in a million years written 25 water 97 pure or this next project and I guarantee that's all the music that's gonna change my life, you get me? So yeah. I know that's H because H was the one when I made Bamboo, the UK didn't get me, bruv, like they didn't get man. H got man, you get me? So H was one of the people that was walking around saying to people, nah, Koj is special. He's not these other men, Koj uh, is, he took his platform and helped me in certain areas. I remember I was trying to drop Bamboo, nobody wanted it. All the UK blogs turned it down. This was back when blogs was like the thing that you had to be on a blog. Otherwise it was like, <sighs> I miss those days. Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. None of them wanted it. They weren't feeling it. I've shown it to H after one shoot and, um, and he's lost his mind. He's called Charlie. He's like, yo, Charlie ended up being like my film producer from dental now. Do you know what I mean? And like helped me make half the visuals that like people have like gone crazy for, got awards for all of that stuff. Like, It's mad, like you make music as a way to express yourself. And for me making those records, none of those records are particularly sad songs Mm. because Harry weren't a sad person. You get me like, you celebrate life even when you lose it. So, writing 25, writing 97, all of those bare tunes on the next project that's coming out, that's like, it's peak man.
1: Yeah, Mm. Well, there's important stories to be told. You know, Mm. it's like for somebody like me, to be able to understand through the music what a young person out here is going through. I mean, that's like the, the ideal in a lot of ways is yeah. to be able to tell your story to people yeah, who yeah. don't even have a frame of reference for it.
0: hundred percent, like, it's what, and do you know what was, you know was matter about it? it? was like, obviously there's been a massive surge again in knife crime. Right. So it was it was very frustrating to have to have the conversation about hatred death in relation to the conversation around knife crime. Because I almost feel like that's one situation where a knife was used and then there's knife crime. Right. You get me? Like, why,
1: why do you say that, though? That makes it so different.
0: Because like the knife crime that they're talking about on the news and all that kind of stuff, they would love to have you believe that it's just this big gang called the Knife Gang. Yeah. And do, do you know what I mean? And they go outside with the knives and they knife people Yeah. and jump back in their knife mobile and run back to their... their Lair and we can't find them, yeah no, these are normal people driven to extremes, and like sadly, this is the way that they they're handling it and like the the things that we had when we was younger that kind of let us know that thing is long, don't exist no more. you get mm. me and people always say it's as simple as like oh, they shut down the youth clubs and da, 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 da. there's youth clubs, youth clubs is definitely um, a thing, but it's olders. It's the older generation mm. that could lift up a shirt and say, look at this. Look, I can't even piss properly. Come off the road, love. Mm. You get me? We had that. So there is, there's a clear vision to say, nah, actually, I'm, I might not be that you. You feel me? Now nah, the internet makes everyone feel like they have to be that you. Mm. If you're not the one that can say, they've dipped down a million, man, or boom, 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 who are you really? How are you supposed to get on Instagram Live and beef people mm. if, you, if you ain't got no ops? So now you got to go outside, find ops. Like, you get me? And just create these, like, silly things for yourself. Like, some of the youngers I'll see, I think to myself, like, bruv, like, you're skilled, bruv. You could be a baller for real. Like, and this ain't even the age where you blame it on your knee going that. <laughs> your knee is fine, bruv. Yeah. You get me? Like, like, it's mad, but, like, There's loads of different things, man. There's loads of different things. And every time I read a story, my brain goes into mad speculation and conspiracy mode where I try to write the script before I read the story. Right. I need to stop doing that.
1: No, I mean, it's incredible how as much as we're aware of that dynamic that where somebody has gone to jail or done something violent or whatever, that... I mean, that adds this element of of sort of awe to their personality. There's a guy that I know who works near me and I just found out that he just got out of jail. He did 17 years for an attempted murder and I mean, I can't lie that the way I view this guy completely changed yeah, when I yeah. found that out, you know, in the yeah. sense that I, and I, I feel dirty even saying that I like speak to him with more respect once I realize yeah, that. Yeah. But you know, in a, in a sense that it is true that it's like, you know, you have a level of respect of just knowing that somebody has been through something really harrowing and that's yeah. even when kids get on terrible drugs, like what are they really doing it for? It's in part because their life is boring. Their life has no real dramatic arc, and they're trying to add this element of that drama.
0: crazy in America right now. Oh, yeah. Super bad. What was the, I saw one interview you did with um, Donk.
1: Boonk. Boonk. Yeah. <laughs> so, my bad. Donk. Bunk, yeah. <laughs> Donk, now my, my,
0: With Boonk, and um, he was dribbling. Uh, yeah. That but must,
1: you that's... know, yeah, I heard he's all right. I seen him the other day. Yeah. I was at the arcade with my girl, and I see him. And he he yeah, seems cool, fine too. now. Yeah, but he got locked up for a little while too. I think oh, really? and came out clean. I think.
0: I think do you know what? I, like, I wonder what it is because it, it seems like people dying ain't enough. Yeah. To stop like. Really, people jumping on it.
1: But you know what it is—is is that the 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 drug thing? People turn to drugs because they feel like their life is hopeless and pointless, and that they have nothing to live for. Like if you have all these good things and a strong family, etc., like things that you're excited about, then it's it's a lot harder to get addicted to drugs like that. But I feel like it really is an expression of how meaningless so many people feel like their lives are. Like I've heard people say that every. Country or every civilization gets the drugs that it deserves that it wants yeah, yeah. and that's okay You go to Russia you see them with some of this shit that they're doing crocodile and stuff yeah, It's like yeah, crocodiles mad. Th- their life is really so fucked up that they actually it's a, an even more literal expression of like I don't want to be here. I don't want to live through this
0: A part of me is a bit fucked up though because I want some people to take drugs uh. So vice don't stop making them Because <laughs> sometimes I just be chilling at home like yeah, let I me mean, watch some shit about crocodile. You right. see them shit fall off somebody, and you look at your, you look at your zoo, and you go, Do you know, this is why." I'm yeah, this together. is all right. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I mean. You stick together, bro, because that don't happen when I hit this. Yeah,
1: because <laughs> sometimes I will be thinking that, like, I gotta stop smoking weed. This shit is slowing me down. Nah, blah no, blah blah. You ain't lost the limit. Yeah. <laughs>
0: trust me, the wrong crocodile potion, bro. It's all I was
1: in Russia. I seen the level of people that you will see just sitting on a park bench looking like they're about to die is like nothing i ever seen before in my life yeah even
0: here once you start once you go uni man you start to see all the drugs man Like ketamine's a mad one, man It's crazy, yeah, it's yeah. big in LA too Is it? Mm. I don't get ketamine I
1: never tried it, yeah It's
0: horse tranquilizer Yeah,
1: something. I feel kind of lame when like There's all these cool new drugs people are talking about And I don't really have like a frame of reference is. for it Like They never that
0: to horses to put them to sleep yeah. And then taking that to go out
1: Tranquilizer, I mean that sounds kind of fun But I don't know
0: Let's <laughs> <laughs> go You ever see it what happens like to limitless. a horse when they shove that I thing know. in them? If they had a limitless pill, I'll take that every day
1: Yeah so where are you at in terms of future releases? You got all the stuff out right now, but I know you, yeah. you definitely have new shit in the works. And let's not yeah. just limit it to music either, because I'm sure you yeah, do all kinds yeah. of shit.
0: I'm trying to, when does this drop though?
1: Uh, probably next couple of days. Um,
0: I don't know. All right, well, basically what I can talk about is the new project. Oh. Um, two years out, the last project I made in God's body, long story short, went through hellish shit. Mm very deep in a depression that basically meant I just didn't feel the point in doing anything creative anymore. Had to work myself out of that mentally, emotionally, financially. Um, And I got back to a space where um, I was cool to wear both hats Mm. because I found that like, like me as a person, I was low. I was depressed. I understood Koji as, as a a thing for other people so as soon as I walked out the door I could wear the smile and do the job and I got back in and I isolated myself from everything and everyone and um and it took me a while to kind of come to grips with that especially after losing H and all that stuff like it took a minute and then um I found myself in a better position um with a better outlook um understanding certain things aren't necessarily weaknesses um and just and just choosing more methods of healing um and one of those things was making music and for me i think the coolest thing about this project was like it almost felt like some like 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 a holy ghost had hit us on some crazy like it was me swindle kz who's been producing for me since the very beginning he's one of the best in the world swindle's one of the best in the world q uh paris 404 human family best in the world some musicians um Neil like Dana like just people that just could feel music and we made this project pretty quickly Mm. because I'm one of them obsessive compulsive creatives that needs to like go over then go over then go over and go over again we made this one fairly quickly but because everything felt right Mm. and you could tell making this project was almost like therapy for everybody in the room um, and then then we made that project we made the project in february you, you step out into the world now after coming out of the studio of making some great stuff and your know, spirits are on high mm. and now you're releasing and you got to watch for this metric and that metric mm. and this and um
1: see how much people enjoyed your your personal struggle yeah, exactly. <laughs> how much do you all relate exactly. to my depression
0: and it's like and it's like the enjoyment doesn't come from hearing it. Once you hear it, you enjoy it too. It's how do we get people to hear it? So it's like you've you got to run that race for a bit. So originally we was going to drop much earlier in the year. And then I was like, do you know what? Let's enjoy this summer. Like I've got a bunch of festivals, the tour's planned. The project can come at a press of a button. Do you know what I mean? So it's going to come. Like that's, that's the fun I've been having is letting people know I've got the best one this year.
1: Mm. Well, there you go i'm looking forward to it man uh what kind of shoes are those lubes nice yeah lubies just knowing that you're big on the fashion thing i was just looking at those thinking you know those look pretty fucking comfortable and pretty Do you stylish. know what they,
0: i'm not normally a, a shoe guy um big up blue button i've got a chance to meet him really? speak with him yeah man um big up manny she's on the Louboutin team as well oh nice they're just they're just like they're bringing man through
1: <laughs> Much respect. I like. I've been wearing the same pair of running shoes for three weeks on this road trip. I don't know why I only bought one pair of shoes.
0: Listen, if you only need one, wear one. Yeah. Literally. Like that's the difference, isn't it? Like, it's crazy because as soon as you start making money, you figure buy out less shoes. ways to spend it. A lot of
1: people just buy a lot of shoes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You I, just I, think
0: of Dumb ways to spend it or less ways to spend
1: I, it. I got a friend, uh, Tax Stone, who's who's locked up right now. But I, I remember, but they tax. B- tax before he got locked up. I just remember him like going on a rant one time and saying like, "Y'all motherfuckers put in all this work, you get locked up, and what you get to show for it? A bunch of jeans." <laughs> and I was like, "That's so true." Like, I know a lot of people that have like ten thousand dollars worth of jeans in their house, oh, and that, that's, no, about, okay. it. that's yeah. about it. That's about it. I mean, that's got, literally it. You know,
0: in the in the drawer from IKEA. Yeah, yeah I mean, real talk. Yeah. The is, is the,
1: if the couch is hundred fifty bucks from IKEA and then yeah. the, the shoes are, are fifteen hundred dollars or the jeans are fifteen hundred dollars, you might want to reconsider yeah, your priorities. But at the same time, respect for doing doing big. And yeah. big up IKEA. Yeah, and they, big up they, IKEA. They yeah, although fuck Sweden as well
0: yeah right now <laughs> definitely definitely unless i'm there unless then, they free rock yeah, at which point yeah. i'd like to withdraw my Don't comment you know. me, <laughs> I can't afford to do yeah. shows. Like. listen <laughs> customs agent we're just Yo, kidding yeah. they, oh man i was vexed man he couldn't do wireless man
1: oh yeah it's a shame
0: and you know the ones where actually as you're sitting in there you know when you actually feel for man because i know as an artist there's certain shows that you have there that you're mm. like let them do whatever. If they want money, I'll pay whatever. Right. Let me go do that. Go show. play in front of a
1: hundred thousand people like yeah. that is crazy. Even yeah, for somebody as big as him, me. you know, he appreciates that shit course, still. Yeah. Man.
0: Especially in London, man. He's got like, he's got love for London, man. Mm. Rocky's got love. And that's the thing. I'm not even saying that cause I've met him. Like he's one of the people I ain't even met yet. Like opportunity has been there, but I've just not met him yet. But I can tell from all the situations and the times that I've been around him or the people that I know, he's got love for London. Mm. Um, He's just got a lot of New York in him. And it don't matter where in the world that he is.
1: Anybody can get it. Anybody (laughs) can get it.
0: (laughs) Man.
1: All right. Koji, honestly, great uh, conversation. Probably one of the best ones I had so far. Pleasure. Appreciate you, man. Thank you, for real. Everybody, uh, check his shit out on YouTube, Apple Music, Spotify, all that shit. Let's go. No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. Check us out on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes.